is a podcast where we journey through the weekly Torah portion and glean parenting insights along the way. Hi, I'm your, your host, Sasha Clark, Sasha the Catalyst, and I am glad to be back. Um, I have personally been on this parenting journey for about, oh, a quarter of a century. I hate to admit that I'm that old, but really in truth, most of my life I have been taking care of other people. So um, anyway, so I'm on, just on a quest at this season of my life to just to learn all I can about being the best parent I can be to my physical children, my own inner child, as well as my spiritual children or like students that I work with using God as the perfect template. So it's, uh, I am by far, I'm the furthest thing from a perfect parent. I make tons of mistakes still. It's a journey. It's a, it's a relationship. It's an ongoing process. Um, so I hope that my hindsight can become your insight. So let's take a peek at the Parsha for this week and see what we can learn together. This week we are studying Parsha Bo, Parshat Bo, which is Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 through Exodus chapter 13, verse 16. We left off last week with seven plagues out of 10 and Pharaoh doing some pretty dirty underhanded stuff. My heart honestly is so heavy under the weight of his arrogance this week. I just, every time we get to this Parsha, I always feel that heaviness. If you've ever been a situ- in a situation where you have felt overlooked, unseen, or marginalized, it's very easy to place yourself in this week's Parsha as one of the Israelites. Or, you know, there, I think there was multitudes of people who were being mistreated, but the story happens to be about the... Um, the freedom of the Israelites being freed from the slavery, from this oppression. So, uh, you know, anyway, my mind kind of goes back and I can and imagine times when I have felt the weight of someone else's pride um, and their decisions, you know, the powerlessness you feel when someone in power is making a decision that affects you and yet you have no control over that decision. So unfortunately... And his arrogance comes from thinking he is God, right? If you are God, you have no need for God in your life, right? Um, And so I often wonder what the Israelites, later known as the Jewish people, are thinking in this moment. I wonder how the political drama is playing out over, you know, like the dinner tables and around the wells and through the gossip mills. Yes, their cries have been heard by God, but was this really the solution they were hoping for? So we begin with Bo, um, with Pharaoh summoning Moses and Aaron for a change. Instead of Moses and Aaron, you know, getting a going to Pharaoh, Pharaoh calls them this time. And that's the word Bo in Hebrew means to come. So, um, okay, so we start off with plague eight in the first Aaliyah. And at um, how long... Uh, Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And they're talking on behalf of God. Let my people go so they can worship me. Um, After Moses and Aaron left, Pharaoh's servants begged him to allow the Israelites to leave. Don't you yet know that Egypt is lost, they argued. Um, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron back and allowed the Israelites to leave, provided that they leave behind their children as like a security that they were going to come back. Totally rude. (laughs) Sorry. Nothing triggers my mama bear reaction like someone messing with my kids anyway. So I'm sure that this did not work. And look at the leadership of Moses and Aaron. They had an opportunity to free part of, I mean, like 
all of the able-bodied men of of the Israelites, right? And the women. And all they had to do was leave behind their children. And I'm not saying that I would consider it, but I think some people would have. So uh, I'm just saying I love that Moses and Aaron are like, no way, we're definitely not doing that. Um, and partly because they're like also announcing, hey, we're probably not coming back either, you know. Um, I, th- I do recall in one of the plagues, I can't remember which one it was, but the Torah tells us basically that Moses kind of is like trying to soft sell the whole process. Like we're just going out for three days. We're going to offer a sacrifice that's kind of offensive to your people. And then, you know, he doesn't say they'll be back, but he kind of leaves it open like Pharaoh could interpret that. And while that's a totally political move it's also somewhat untrue and I don't know if I can't recall if the sages feel that Moses was lying or not but anyway I digress um at this point it's very obvious if they're not going to leave their children behind that they're definitely not coming back so in the second Aliyah Moses stretches out his hands and swarms of locusts sweep down on Egypt that consume basically everything all the crops um in warmer climates this is kind of for all of my listeners that are in the northern hemisphere right now where it's winter um we're not too used to the fact that there's there's places of the world that you can grow crops all year long so what happens here in egypt um while it is very devastating um it isn't going to cause like a year-long famine because um in this part of the world they can grow multiple crops a year so but it is definitely going to cause them a hardship for a short amount of time at least a couple of months i mean several months so um so anyway, Pharaoh again prays, asks Moses to pray to God for the removal of the locusts, promising to then release everyone. Uh, Moses prays, and no sooner had the wind carried the locusts back to the sea than Pharaoh changed his mind again. Oh my gosh, I wish I had recorded the, the year that my boys did this for Passover. It was hilarious. My middle boy was like, and then you know what that Pharaoh did? He said no. Or at this part, he's like, and then he changed his mind. Can you believe that? I can't believe he changed his mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, plague nine happens in the second Aaliyah, the, the darkness, the frightful darkness. And I usually have a lot of things to say about this darkness. But just for all you really need to know is that it was so dark that the Egyptians could literally not see their hands in front of their faces. But for the children of Israel, there was light in their homes. So the third Aaliyah, Pharaoh summons Moses again, offering to release the Israelites if they leave behind their cattle. And of course, Moses refuses this condition as well. And then Pharaoh sends him away, warning not to ever appear before him again, because on that day you shall die. And Moses is like, yes, you actually don't even know what you're saying, but <laughs> you're you're definitely not going to see me again. So um, Moses in the fourth Aaliyah delivers God's warning at midnight. I will go out in the midst of Egypt. Every firstborn in the land will pass away from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on this throne to the firstborn of the slave woman. And God then issues a commandment to the Israelites to, um, to mark the new moon, the Rosh Kodesh of each month of the lunar calendar, and then tells them to designate a Passover offering and put the blood of the la- the lamb onto the lentils and doorposts of their homes. So that way, when the angel of death comes by, he will pass over that home so that the people inside that home are not afflicted with this plague. 
And they also learn about Passover and um, during which, a week during which no leaven may be eaten or possessed in the, in the homes of the Israelites. In the fifth Aaliyah, Moses gathers the Israelite elders and conveys to them God's instruction. The sixth Aaliyah we have, Plague 10 happening at the stroke of midnight. God slays all of the Egyptian firstborn. No home was spared and Egypt erupted in a great outcry. And this is where we should just pause and feel the sadness that's coming. Um, even though they were our enemies, many of these people, these Egyptian homes, um, had absolutely nothing to do with Pharaoh's decision and were, were affected by the decisions of his ego. The Egyptians pressured the Israelites to please leave as soon as possible, and the Israelites complied. And like I said, they left quickly. They didn't even have a, they didn't even pack anything. They brought their dough. They didn't have time to rise. And we commemorate this particular Aaliyah or this particular Parsha every year at Passover. In the seventh Aaliyah, God gives the Israelites a few more mitzvot. And I, again, won't go into all of those rules and halakha right now. Um, I So that's our summary. So uh, my next question is, who let the dogs out, right? <laughs> I can't say that I totally understand why, but the Torah makes a point to tell us that the dogs didn't park, didn't even bark at them as the Israelites paraded through the streets. And they didn't parade in a victory dance. They literally just come out of their homes and start making their way to the edge of town. It's, it's the, but there's, there's crying, you know, there's a, a lot of, a lot of, um, mourning and sadness. The plague of the firstborn in Disney's Prince of Egypt really is done tastefully, in my humble opinion, um, where the, the little white spirit goes in and just kind of takes the breath away and then comes out. But um, the scene that follows that could have dramatically zoomed in on a few things, and I'll list them for you. A, that the Egyptian neighbors were basically handing all of their gold and silver over to the Israelites and begging them to leave. Maybe they were even hugging and kissing goodbye, because who knows, they might have been friends. Um, especially some of the lower income or lower class people. Uh, you know, if you go back to the end of Genesis, quite a few of the Egyptians had also lost their ability to own land from the famine that had happened during the time of Joseph. So who knows? They might have been in, the, in a similar social structure for all we know. Um, B, there was, there was definitely crying in the streets, um, except for the homes where the blood was placed on the lintel. Everyone, every single home was grieving the loss of their firstborn. C, I would like to think that if I was an Egyptian, I might have copied the blood thing that everybody else was doing, just saying, because it was clear by that point that the God of the Israelites was going to win this war. I think if you're, an, if you're the, the, you know, the innocent peon that's watching the whole battle, you're at this point pretty convinced that all of these plagues are definitely coming to pass. And whatever those Jewish people are doing, maybe I should copy it, you know, just to kind of save my own skin. So, and the Torah does tell us that a whole mixed multitude of people leave Egypt with them. So it's very possible that some of them decided um, that, that, that the Jewish God was the God that they wanted to follow at this point. Um, or just before this point, I would say, actually. Uh, D, on the other end, other than the crying and passing off their wealth, I'm guessing there was probably a hush that fell over the nation. Kind of like that soundlessness, that soundless silence 
of the blanket of thick snow when we have the first snow in the winter. Again, those of you that are in warmer climates might not be able to resonate with this, but there's just this magical hush that happens when there's uh, like two feet of snow on the ground for the first time. And it's almost like all the animals, all the little birds and squirrels and everybody has just decided to go inside and it's so quiet. You can literally hear people like blocks, miles away in town. Um, You can hear voices from like three blocks over that you can't normally hear. So it's a weird hush Um, and it's a really neat experience. But in this case, it would be a hush that was caused by a great amount of sadness. And even the dogs were silent as they quietly left Egypt in a hurry. And then my last point, E, I also want to know why they weren't like just basically packed up and ready to go. I'm thinking maybe by plague seven, you know, it's pretty clear that maybe by eight, I don't know, I might have started packing a a trunk of things that I'd like to take with me because we're clearly leaving. Um, Although they were still working, maybe they didn't have time. So, okay. My parenting touch point this week before we run out of time is one, God always keeps his promises. This is, this is a 400 year old promise, but God keeps it. And for me in my parenting practice, if I say I promise to my kids, I will hurt myself trying to keep that promise. So I am, I, I have learned to be very careful with what, what gauntlet I throw down because I, out of integrity, try to keep my word. Now, I also, the more kids I've had, um, the less I say I promise. And a lot of times I'll say, I'll think about it or I'll consider it or let me talk to you about that tomorrow because I don't want to make a decision yet and I buy myself more time. But once I say, yes, I will do something, I do it. And um, that is because the only way I can establish trust that my children can trust the words that I say is if I follow through with my actions. So I'm also very careful not to threaten things like I'm going to take away that toy if you don't X, Y, Z, you know, um, like, cause maybe they're hitting somebody with it. If I don't really mean it, I also don't lay down the gauntlet in those situations either. So if I'm not willing to get up off the couch and do what I said I was going to do, there's no point in saying threatening to do it, you know? So, or I'll tell your father when I have absolutely no intention of telling him, you know, that's, that's, uh, that all that does is teach our children to not trust our words. It's not effective parenting at all in my experience. Um, it also, the other parenting touch point is the creative power. It's so contradictory. It's so, um, not contradictory, but, uh, I can't remember the word, but it's confounding that the creative power that comes from patience and restraint. So it reminds me of like the backswing when you're, when you're fishing with a fly rod or loading up your bat before you swing in baseball, or like the tension of the rubber band on a slingshot. There are seasons where God is teaching us to load up kinetic energy by doing almost nothing. I mean, so for for all of these plagues up until the last one when he says, okay, now I want you to paint blood on your lentils. The Israelite people had nothing to do. They just sat and waited. And that is really important for us. So thanks for tuning in and may the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, bless you with rest and a heart that can trust in the load seasons. The best is yet to come. Until next time, shalom.